You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. That was good. That was good. Hey, if you are visiting or new with us or maybe you've been gone, I've been gone too. So for the last two Sundays, uh, I was out in Myrtle Beach last week, and then the Sunday before a student takeover, we were getting ready and kind of on in an airplane or something on our way there. And so it was so good to be out and get away with my family and get refreshed. And it, the sermon's going to be 20 hours long because I just have two weeks of stuff that I haven't had to say, and I'm just kidding. You don't think that's as interesting as I do? Anyway, I do want to stop real quick and say thanks to all our students and to Matt Cody, who spoke last week, students of Sunday before. Can we just stop and say thank you real quick to all of them? Did a great job, didn't they? Yeah. Now I want to stop and have a little bit more serious moment for a second. So we're kicking off a series. I'm not even 100% sure how long I'm going to take this series. We're going to go until we're done. It'll probably be at least five weeks, maybe six, maybe seven. But we're going to just go through the Psalms. It's been said that the Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And while there's 150 psalms, we're not going to get that many in, we're going to look at some different kinds of psalms. And, you know, sometimes these are prayers. Sometimes these are literally songs that people wrote. Sometimes they're history. Uh, sometimes they're just whatever. They're personal, personal journal moments of a person. Sometimes we know who wrote them. Sometimes we don't know anything. Sometimes we know the background behind the story. Sometimes we don't know anything. And we're just going to try to unpack them and see what wisdom they have for us. Now, the reason I say that is because if you pay attention to the news at all, there's not a lot of junk going on in our world, is it there? A lot of death, a lot of dying, a lot of hurt, a lot of hate. So what I wanted to do is, in a series on prayer, I just wanted to stop and pray for our church, our culture, our community, and our nation. Let's do that. Father God, uh, we're just kicking off a series to study the Psalms and the wisdom they have for us. And for the first few hundred years, God, of church history, Christians used these Psalms as their own prayers back to you. God, I, I do not understand what's going on in our world. It seems like Satan is having his day, though. I know this. You are the master strategist. You are the master chess player. In every move that the enemy makes, you've already figured out five moves to beat him. And God, you do that through your people, through your church, who unify themselves around you, and they cry out with one voice to you. So God, we're praying that you would protect our children, protect our schools, protect our community, God, would you bring the end to hate and racism and evils of this world, to people being sold into slavery, to abuses, immoralities, and greed, and abuses of power that abound? And God, I know that's actually not going to happen until Jesus returns. So between now and then, God, would you give us the strength of character and courage to be able to walk out our faith in everyday life, loving people the way that, God, you have loved us? And um, to be able to stand strong in the things you've convicted us about and not to change from those, but at the same time, God, to walk in grace towards others. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Here's what I want to do. We're going to jump in. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot. Sorry. I just looked up on my notes. So at the, towards the end of the series on June 26th, um, I guess probably will be the middle because I think I'm an extended series, uh, at 7 o'clock, we're going to do a prayer night. And I realize you may be out of town, you may be on vacation, you may not even know what to do to prayer night, you may be bored out of your mind, I don't know. But we're going to gather as a church, and I'm hoping that hundreds of people will come, we're just going to pray. And if you have a hurt or a sickness or a need, plan to come and pray. If you are concerned about our nation and you believe that God hears our prayers, 
plan to come and pray. We're just going to lift up our voices in prayer to God. And um, it'll be awesome. So I want to encourage you to come put, go ahead and mark it on your calendar and start talking to your loved ones, family, and, and plan on coming. All right. What we're going to do today is we're going to study Psalm 34. So if you have a Bible, open it. If you don't, we provide one. But the one we provide is the New Living Translation. And the one I'm teaching out of is the New International Version. There'll be enough alike. You'll see the similarities and differences. But uh, I want you to open a Bible. If you don't know how to use a Bible, everything will be on the screen. So don't stress about that. But I do want you to take a shot, like take a chance. So if you grab a Bible and you have it closed in front of you, and you have like a paper Bible, you can literally just do this. And if you open to the middle, you're almost always going to land in Psalms. You might not. You might be just left of it or just right of it, so that if you close and try again and go a little bit the other direction, you're going to get lucky this time. And if not, then try going a little bit further the other direction, give it a third try, and when you get there, you'll notice a number. And it might say Psalm 101, or it might say Psalm 7 or 8. And I just want you to keep flipping until you get to Psalm 34. Again, you may be pulling out some app of some sort and be like, I was there five minutes ago. Why are you still talking about this? I get it. I just want everybody to be reading this together because I want you to leverage this psalm throughout this week as you're approaching God. And so we're going to walk through how do we do that. So let's start with this. Ready? Fear in the mind creates stress in the body. Fear in the mind creates stress in the body. When my wife and I got married, uh, somebody gave us a timeshare, told us to pick a place. We decided to pick an island in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico because I thought, island, Gulf of Mexico, this will be a tropical paradise. So we picked Galveston, and I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but you would laugh when I said that out loud if you have. It's not a tropical paradise. We literally got there, got in late the night before, went to our little whatever timeshare place, and uh, the next morning, I think it was like 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m., we hear this, it was really loud. So... Got to get up, go to the world. Honestly, what went through my mind is, oh, man, because this wasn't our timeshare. I wonder if, like, something went wrong with the timeshare and they needed us to work it out or whatever. Like, I was a little stressed about it. I go to the door. There's nobody there. And uh, there's a piece of paper on the door, and there's a hurricane. Now, it's hit the other half of the island, and they're evacuating the island. So we had to spend the first day of our honeymoon in Houston. And uh, not exactly what I had planned for how our first day, you know, being married was going to go. It was going to be amazing or whatever. Uh, there's a long story. I'm giving you the short version here. But what ended up happening is they finally said, oh, the hurricane turned, went the other way. You can go ahead and, and come back now. So we went back to Galveston, and there were these massive waves. I mean, massive. I mean, they were like 100 feet tall. Okay, it felt that way, but I'm five foot six. So every wave feels 100 feet tall. It really wasn't that big. But I remember, like, I couldn't wait to get in. And, like, literally, surfers were coming down here to catch these big waves because the storm had kicked up the water. I had no fear whatsoever. Then last week happened. And we're in the water, and one day, I think it was my brother-in-law, but I, one day, somebody goes, hey, what are those big shapes out there in the water? Now, about two days before we went to River Beach last week, my wife is looking on the internet, and she reads something, I can't remember the details, she remember, reads something about how many more sharks have been showing up in Myrtle Beach. Now, I convinced my wife it's okay because you have a better likelihood of getting struck by lightning than you do of getting bit by a shark. That is until you look out and 100 feet away, there are massive dark shapes in the water. Now, we're staring and waiting to see if a fin comes up out of the water. And I'm telling my boys, all right, boys, let's back up, let's back up. None of the other families seem concerned whatsoever. I don't care if they want to be shark bait. I don't want to be shark bait. Now, I am a little bit stressed. Now, I'm a little bit excited, too, because the adventurous side of me is like, oh, we're going to see something eaten today. I mean, we're going to see a shark today. It's going to be great. But I don't want to be the snack, so come on back here. Let's come to the edge. A little further up, a little further up, a little further up. 
Fear in the mind creates stress in the body. And I will tell you, my stomach was in knots. And the reason my stomach was in knots was the second thing I want you to hang on to. Stress in the body creates a need for control. Stress in the body creates a need for control. What that means is the more fear I have, the more my body will show signs of stress. And then what happens is I feel the need to make everything feel safe again. And the only time, let's be honest, any of us feel safe is when we are in control, right? The what drives us crazy when we read the news and somebody has taken, say, a gun into a school. First of all, how can in the world could anybody do anything that evil? It makes no sense to me. But what really bothers me is I feel out of control. I feel powerless. What if I'm not in the right place at the right time? What can I do? I don't know what I could do to, to, to fight a shark anyway. I mean, I'm willing to give it my best shot, but I honestly don't know what I could do. But I feel some semblance of control when I'm pulling back my kids out of the water, right? It makes me feel safer about what's happening. Now, the way this plays out is, it's a wonderful book. I, I do recommend it, but it's not for the faint of heart. It is it's some heavy lifting. But it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And the whole idea of the book is it walks through all these different traumatic events of life and how that affects us and how we get nervous and anxious and scared and afraid. And we show signs of stress on our bodies. And it changes the way we live and the way we act as a result of various terrifying traumatic things that have happened in our lives. Now, what happens is when bad things come into your life, when scary moments come into your life, it could be a car accident. It could be a medical diagnosis. It could be an injury that occurred from something that was out of your control. It could be any number of things, fighting with your spouse, fighting with your children, fighting with your parents, fighting with a coworker. What happens when these moments happen is fear arises in us, so stress arises in us. We start to show it in our body. We can't sleep at night. We're anxious. Our stomach is in knots. And we go into these different responses, right? You've heard of what? Fight and flight. Although there are actually four responses. Fight, flight, and what I like to call fright and fold. Fright is just anxiousness, and fold is like just to quit. I just give up. And the whole idea is we're responding out of fear, and these responses give us a semblance of control. But when we respond in these ways, we make everybody else around us feel unsafe. One person came up to me after the last service was telling me about a story recently, something happened, and I won't go into the details, so you couldn't pinpoint the guilty, but uh, they felt very out of control in a moment, and so they kind of threw a fit, and later, like, repented to God, I'm sorry, God, I got so angry and out of control, but also had to go to their kid and repent for their behavior, for how they actually acted, and what they're doing was trying to bring the world back into a safe place for them, but when they did, they acted in such a way that made other people scared. See, we do this kind of thing all the time. Now, there's a difference between a, a choice of fear and a choice of strength. And they may be the same, but they come from a different place. And that's what I want us to have in our head as we go to Psalm 34. I may make the exact same decision, but when I'm doing it because I'm confident that God is with me, he's going to use this, I respond from faith rather than from my fear. When I respond from fear, I make everybody else feel uncomfortable. I love the way Max Cato says this. He says, fear never wrote a sympathy, it's not a sympathy, a symphony or a poem. Negotiated a peace treaty or cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. Fear never saved a marriage or a business. Courage did that. Faith did that. 
People who refused to consult or cower to their timidities did that. But fear itself, fear herds us into a prison and slams the doors. Wouldn't it be great to walk out? Let's just think about that for a minute. Wouldn't it be great to walk out of your fears and to walk in faith? What we're going to do is look at Psalm 34, and if you have your Bible open, if you did what I asked, you'll notice there is a subscript at the very beginning of the psalm, and the subscript tells us the context of the story, and i got to tell you, I find it fascinating, but let's read the subscript, and I'll tell you why it's fascinating. It says, a psalm of David regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech who sent him away. Huh? What is happening? Well, there's a lot of things happening here, but one of the things we learn is that David, at one point in his life, was terrified. He was terrified because of the situation surrounding him, of what's going on. So, if you remember King David, we're ballparking, he was around 15 years old, the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, you're going to be king one day. God has taken out Saul, the current king, and he said, you are no longer fit to be my king, and he's removed him, so David, one day you're going to be king. Anybody know any 15-year-olds ready to be king? Yeah, God didn't either. And so, what happened was, it's not time for him to be king yet. Anybody have any idea about how old David is when the kingdom is finally his to rule and reign? You don't have to say it out loud. He's somewhere in his 30s. So there's around a 20-year gap between when Samuel tells him this is what's going to happen, and it finally comes to fruition. Now, what happens is we get a lot of one-two skip a few. We get these stories throughout Samuel and other places that tell us about some of the moments in his life, but we don't get all the moments. And so there's a lot of gaps of information we don't have. But what we do have is shortly after he's anointed to one day be king at 15-ish, Soon after that, he goes to check on his brothers who are at war, and there's a huge giant. Again, in Goliath, you may have heard the story. He's down in a valley, and he's yelling curses at the people of God. And this is the point David shows up, and nobody wants to fight Goliath because they're afraid. And David's like, oh, I got this. Give me a few stones, and I'll take care of the problem. And he trusts that God is with him, and he goes on, and he kicks the pants off of Goliath. It's a great day. It's a great moment. That is what you would think then would be every moment of triumph in Goliath's, or sorry, in David's life. That Goliath, this moment with Goliath would be for him, this example, you could trust God, it's always going to work out, David. But what happens over the next few years of his life is, uh, first he starts to kind of work for King Saul. He literally is brought in as King Saul is losing his mind and God's removing his spirit and he's tormented all the time. David comes in and plays this harp. He's a true Renaissance man. He's a warrior. He's powerful. He's ruddy. He's good looking. He's, uh, he makes music. He writes poems. He loves God. He dances. I mean, this guy could do it all. And David would come in and play his harp and kind of calm down the king. And all of a sudden, Saul starts to get jealous. He hears the rumors. In fact, he hears things like, Saul kills his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Because over time, David begins to lead in Saul's army. In fact, he becomes what we might call a general today in Saul's army. And he is responsible for many, many victories on behalf of Saul. But Saul hates him. Saul's seen throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. So eventually, David runs for his life to try to get away from Saul, who's trying to kill him. We are probably looking at a man who was somewhere between 18 and 22 years old. And we find him in a foreign country, Philistine territory, the city of Gath. Here's what it looks like. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? 
Here's what they see. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And it comes back to the story. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid. What? Wait a minute, what? The, the same David who went toe-to-toe with Goliath with a few stones? The same David who has no fear, whatever God wants, God will take it. God, 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 I trust, I'm okay. Come on, men of Israel, where are you? Step up. That David, he's afraid? Oh, yeah, why? His situation has changed. Her circumstances are terrifying. And you may read that and go, I have no idea what it's like to be King David. I don't either. Last time I checked, I haven't beaten any glass. I'm not running for my life. I don't, I'm not sitting in front of a foreign king who wants to kill me. But I can relate with situational fear where things have happened around me and I don't know what to do. So David's response is he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Does this look like a great warrior? Akish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? And he leaves him alone. And David, sitting down and reflecting on what happened that day, he makes a journal entry. We call it Psalm 34. About the time he had to act crazy. Do you see the connection? Here's one thing. I'm just going to leave it out there because I don't have an answer for you. I'm struggling with this. I don't have an answer. What would have happened if David hadn't acted crazy? Would it have all worked out anyway? What would have happened if the king had tried to kill David? Would God have miraculously protected David? I don't know, and neither do you, and you never will. What I know is this. God had promised David, you're going to be king. So David knew he could trust on that. But God didn't give David a blueprint for every single situation he would ever be in and how to handle it. He gave him certain things like God's character, God's nature, God's promises. And within the character and the nature and the promises of God, David had to make daily decisions about what he was going to do and how he was going to handle himself. And it appears that God uses David's decision, whether it was the best decision or not the best decision, God used it to accomplish his purposes. And I wonder what our lives would be like if we had that same kind of faith. So now, without any further ado, what I want to do is open Psalm 34. We're just going to read all of Psalm 34, and then we're going to draw out some of the wisdom that's in Psalm 34 for ourselves. And you may want to, this week, find a nice Adirondack chair on a deck, or you may want to pull up your, I don't know, lazy boy or whatever it is for you, and just read Psalm 34 and let the Lord speak to you. Here we go. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. The word extol is not a word we use very often in everyday language. If you look at your various translations, English Standard, New King James, King James, whatever it is, you may see the word praise, you may see the word bless. The word extol means to praise enthusiastically with a lot of energy. And I find this one fascinating because what David is saying is even though I felt totally afraid of my situation, even though I didn't have a clear director from God on how to handle this, I will praise the Lord at all times. If his praise will always be on my lips, I will glory in the Lord Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. The what? The afflicted? How can the afflicted rejoice? I say this all the time. 
Do not believe the lie of certain Christianity groups today that tell you God wants you to always be happy, healthy, rich, and wise. The scriptures do not affirm that. The scriptures affirm that life happens to all of us, and even when it does, we can still hear and rejoice. He goes on and says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God loves to be praised. God loves to be celebrated. Every night when I pray with my boys before bed, when I put them to bed, we always say a bunch of thanks. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for these things that happened. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We lay out some prayers, of course. These things are going on. Help these people. They're sick. They're hurt. They broke this. They're usually dad. Whatever it is, help us with something, God. Help us. But we're always saying, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God. For, oh, thank you for your blessings and your provision. Uh, once a month, usually the first Thursday of every month, we, we take a prayer day as a staff. And so I got to go on my prayer day this past week, and I was just walking along. And I just told God, God, I'm ADHD. You made me this way. It took me decades to stop feeling guilty for being me. But okay, God, here I am. I'm going to let my full ADHD go. I'm going to prayer walk with you. And if if it comes to my mind, I'm going to pray about it. If I see it, I'm going to lift it up before you. And the very first thing that happened is this cool little green bug went right in front of me. And I kind of stepped back for a second, and I landed on a leaf. I would have never seen it if he hadn't almost hit me in the face. And I'm staring at this green bug. And I'm like, that thing is so cool. It blends in perfectly with that leaf. I never would have seen that. God, thank you so much for that bug. That's so cool. Then this firefly uh, came right in front of me. And I don't know how to describe it, but it was super cool. It was brown looking. had these two wings coming out each side. Each one had two little flag looking things, almost like, like something had taken chunks out of it. But I think that was the way it looked because I saw other ones. They looked the same. And it was just flipping along. And I'm like, that is the coolest design I've ever seen. And it landed on a stick and put its wings down for a second. I went, you can't even see it. God, good job with that one. And I'm walking along and there's all these pinks and, and purples and colors of flowers, and they all smell terrible because my allergies are going crazy, but oh, it was just beautiful and glorious. And I'm just thanking God, thank you for this in my church, and thank you for this with my amazing wife, and thank you for my kids in these ways, and I'm just praising him. God loves to be praised. And one of the major ways that we pull out of a funk is we praise God through it. In fact, the song we sang earlier in our service, I raise a hallelujah, I don't remember all the details of the story, but that came out of a pastor who was in a hospital. And I can't remember if it was his kid or a friend of his kid, but he was in the room, and there was a terrible medical diagnosis. And while in the hospital praying for God to heal, he just, this chorus came upon him. Now raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. My enemy is trying to destroy right now, but I will praise God through it all. It's one of the reasons I love that song. So here's what I walked away with. And you, you may want to pull out your phone or a piece of paper. You might want to text this to a friend right now. Please don't just start playing on social media. You do that later. You might want to text this to yourself. That's why I want to make a note. I'll send myself a text. But here's what I want you to get. My first activity in the midst of uncertainty, my first activity in the midst of uncertainty is to enthusiastically bless the Lord. My first activity in the midst of uncertainty is to enthusiastically bless the Lord. That's what he longs for. He longs to be praised and celebrated. God, I don't know where this is going. I don't know how it's going to get there, but I fully, with all my heart, trust you, and I celebrate you. So God, thank you for this and this and this and this and this and this. You're like, how can you thank God with all these bad things going on? Because I don't know what he's going to do next, but I know he's going to do it. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Well, how did he answer you, David? I mean, he didn't literally tell you what to do next. No, I prayed, God, God, I'm scared. I'm running for my life. I got to eat. I got to have a place to live. I'm in this other country. It's enemy territory. This could go really bad, but God, I'm trusting you. 
You said I'll be king. You said you're watching over my life. I didn't feel like it right now, but you told me you would take care of me. And if the birds and the flowers survive, I'm going to make it okay, God. So I'm trusting you. And he answered. Now, this is a David after the fact, looking back. But I'm telling you, you have moments in your life where God answered, right? It may not have looked like you thought, but you're here. You're alive. You're still standing. Yeah, 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 right? Like, you're still going. You got to be over 40 to even get the song reference on that one. Forget it. I'm going to keep moving. All right. He delivered me from all my what? You mean godly men and women are allowed to be afraid? Well, yes, but we do it in faith. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Think about the way David feels the weight of failure right now. I hear, hey, I'm supposed to be king, but I'm in another country. I'm alone and isolated. Nobody's with me, and I'm doing this on my own, and I'm not sure it's going to work out. But God is making sure that my face is radiant, and it's never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. If you've been at Kingsway for a few months, you've heard me say this, so forgive me for repeating myself, but the newbies don't know this. But throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, there are things called angels. Angels are ministering spirits. They work on behalf of God somehow in this world. We are given very little insights as to what exactly they do in this world. However, throughout the Old Testament, there is one angel referred to as the angel of the Lord. He's separate and different from the other angels. He's also called the host of heaven's armies. Now, here's what's crazy. Just think, I use this example, but think about Moses and the burning bush. Moses comes up. God says, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Moses does all this. And all of a sudden it says, the angel of the Lord then said, blah, blah, blah. And it leaves you, the reader, going, I'm confused. Is he talking to an angel or is he talking to God? And the angel doesn't distinguish between his voice and God's voice. And that's because those who study these things, they tell us this is Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus has appeared to Moses. He's in the burning bush. And it's not hard then for Jesus to say, yes, God is here. Because if you remember in the New Testament, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, thousands of years ago, I am. When God made everything, we're going to talk about that in a couple months. We're going to talk about creation in Genesis 1. We're going to go there, pray for me. What he said is before everything was created, he was. And everything that's been made, he made it. So why is that powerful? Because I believe that David is somehow studying his Bible and the Holy Spirit has revealed to David that he's not just surrounded by an angelic army. No, no, no. He is surrounded specifically by Jesus Christ himself, the angel of the Lord. He's here with me. And I am protected, encamped around on all sides. You know, they would have these shields. We'll actually talk about this. I think it might be next week in the, one of the different Psalms. But they would have these shields that kind of came up around the sides. And they would protect you at almost all angles. But there was one angle they couldn't protect. But David envisions, even though life is happening, I'm terrified. All of me is surrounded by all of him. That's why I can trust him. And what I take away from that, the nugget you might need to write down for yourself, is accept that peace is the fruit of dependence and not the byproduct of control. In other words, we don't find peace in this life because everything goes as we need it to go. 
We find peace in this life because we are surrounded by Jesus himself who loves us and cares for us and desires for us to be okay. Psalm 34, verse 8. Now, when I read Psalm 34, what I'll often do in like Bible studies and men's retreats, I'll just read it and I'll say, I want you to pick out one verse that jumps out at you and this first verse is almost always the one that people circle. Verse eight, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Okay, so why is this so powerful? I believe that David, in his need, he's in a foreign country. He has no job. He has no income. He doesn't know what he's going to do next. But what he's experiencing is God's provision in the midst of the lack of certainty. Are you with me? He's actually seeing and experiencing God take care of him and God protect him. And if you go read the story, at one point, he gets to eat some sacred bread. God fed him with some sacred bread. Nobody was supposed to eat it, but God provided it for David. And that's relevant because he's now reflecting backwards. At some point, I don't know if it's that day or the next week or the next month or the next year, he's looking back at all that God did for him, and he's just celebrating that I can actually experience that the Lord is good. When we look at each other and say, just have faith, brother, just encourage each other, sister, that is not necessarily what the scriptures tell us. Of course, it's true to an extent, but David is actually experiencing it. I can taste it with my tongue. I can see it with my eyes. And while he doesn't say this, I can hear it with my ears, with my actual body and my actual senses. I will experience the faithfulness of God. This is part of what Jesus is trying to say in Matthew 5 is, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not be afraid of tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own. And if the God feeds the birds of the air and he clothes the flowers in the field and you are far more precious than flowers and birds and even lions, then do you think he'll take care of you? And David is saying, my experience, what I have come to see is God takes care of those that he loves. Yeah. Now, what that means, and here's what I wrote down. You may need to write this down for yourself. Make no excuses because you lack no good thing. Right? Like, I could trust that. Now, you may be saying to yourself, oh, but pastor, I have lots of wants. I get it. Don't we all? I mean, you ever see another thing you want after you just got a thing you want? That's your flesh, man. That's, I'm telling you, like, I get it. But make no excuses because you lack no good thing. Everything you need is in Jesus. In fact, Peter reflects this way. He says, everything we need for life and godliness is found in him. Everything, everything. So I don't need to make excuses. I can't get this done. I can't do that thing. I don't have enough. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You lack no good thing. So you have everything you need. So I can approach God with confidence. I come before him, God, I know I have all the resources I need to do everything you have planned for me. So if it appears that I can't get something done, it's because I'm trying to do something that isn't supposed to be mine to do, or I'm trying to do it in a way that isn't supposed to be mine to do it. So God, I know I lack no good thing. You take care of me. So help me to do what you've called me to do. Verse verse 11, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I love this one because what David is, again, he's looking at his own life. He's trying to write for all of us to explain to you what God is revealing to him. So now it's like, okay, God, I'm going to turn my pain into a lesson. When Romans 8, 28 says God works all things together for the good of those who love him, part of the way God does that is he takes my pain and he turns it into a lesson. And that's what God is doing here for David. So David is just saying, okay, I'm recognizing it on this earth. There are people that God takes care of because he loves them and they love him. And out of the fear of God, they choose to live their lives a certain way. In the same realm of this 20-year period between being anointed king and actually becoming king, David has a chance to kill King Saul. In fact, he's hiding in a cave with some of his men at this point, and King Saul comes in, and it says to relieve himself. He's got to go number two. And when King Saul is uh, in a very vulnerable position, David's men whisper to David and say, go get him. This is your chance. God has delivered the king into your hands. And David says, no. I will not lift a finger of the Lord against the Lord's anointed. When God is ready for him to be done, God will take care of it. It will not be on me. And that's a powerful thing because David is reflecting, listen, if you want to see many good days, then do the right thing. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In other words, what he's saying is, what if I had taken a Goliath approach in the moment with King Achish of Gath? What if I'd come in and said, yeah, I'm David. What are you going to do about it, sling? Like, what if, what if he had approached that? Now, he's going to war against the king of another nation. What if what God wanted to do in this moment was say, David, I need you to trust me. I don't need you to always pick up a sword and go kill someone. I need you to trust me. And in this moment, I need to know if you trust me. So David said, okay, I'll act crazy because I don't know what else to do. And God said, that'll work. We'll use that. So next time your kids are acting crazy, say, yeah, maybe, maybe they were convicted by God. Okay, don't do that. But anyway, <laughs> the reason that's powerful, look, I don't, God doesn't give you a blueprint for what to do in every situation. He didn't for David. But David said, I know this, I will live righteously and trust God to handle it. And here's what I wrote. Maybe this is a summer you need today. Is fear of God changes how I live today. It changes. Everybody else may lie, cheat, steal. Everybody else may do immoral things, and this is just how the life looks here. And if you want to get ahead, and if you, and if you, and if you, I want to encourage you to be like David. You stay faithful to God or whatever he's called you to do and let him work out how it looks and when it looks that way. Got to keep moving. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let me just stop before we keep reading in Psalm here. This verse here, I believe this is verse 18. This verse here, I send to people who've recently gone through the passing of a loved one a lot. You may have gotten a card with that written in there. Because this verse is so powerful, so powerful. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I'll come back to that in a minute. He says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. I never broke a bone until I was 12 years old, and then I averaged one a year until I was like 21, sometimes two a year. 
So apparently, I wasn't righteous. That's not what that means. I'm not going to have time to dig into this today, so I'm just going to throw it out there, and we'll get to it more throughout the series. So come back and teach more. But Jesus says they will not be able to kill him until everything written about him in the Psalms and the history books and in the prophets comes to pass. This is one of those prophetic moments in the Psalms. That somehow the Holy Spirit is inspiring David. This is important because it's referenced, even as Jesus is being hung on the cross, the New Testament writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are celebrating the fact that all of his bones are in place. None of his bones were broken. So this is part of the reason why I say it's almost guaranteed Jesus didn't actually have a nail go through his hand because it's almost impossible to get a nail through there and not break a bone. It's almost guaranteed the nail went through his wrist because you could split the bones in the wrist and a nail could have gone through there, pierced the tendon in there, but excruciatingly painful and held him to a cross. Now, I just blew some of your minds. I don't have time to go into that. But part of this is coming back to this. This is about him. If tomorrow you're playing basketball and you break your ankle, that's not on God. He didn't fail you. This is about Jesus. And so when it came true, the disciples went, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit inspired David to tell us about him. So when we saw it, it's further proof that we can trust the scriptures. And he goes on and he says, evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me come back quickly. Um, it was around 15, 16 years ago. Uh, I was having pain while I was running. I went to the doctor. He's like, huh, you have an extra bone in your ankle. I'm like, yay me, all the extra things I get. He's like, so it's stressing out your ankle. Your tendon has to go further, and so it's stressing your tendon. He's like, but here's the thing. That x-ray we did to find that out about your ankle, it also revealed there's this dark spot in your heel. I'm like, okay, what's that mean? He's like, well, you have a hole in your foot. I'm like, oh, sounds interesting. How'd that get there? He's like, I have no idea. You could have been born this way. You could have had a problem that created this. I'm like, well, what do we do about it? He said, well, we need to cut your foot open. We need to drill a hole in the outside of your bone, and we need to fill it in with like a bone concrete paste. I'm like, sounds fun. What's option B? He said, you're running one day and your whole foot shatters. Oh, option A it is. So I do surgery and I'm praising God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God for revealing this because what if I would have had that happen? And that was all great until surgery was over and I've never experienced pain like that in all my life. I ended up in the hospital for four days with an infection, but the pain was running rampant. They gave me what I call the happy stick where like every time I push it, it'd give me a shot of morphine except I was pushing it so much I was killing myself. I got out of the hospital with six months of intense nerve pain. If you've never experienced pain, you experience nerve pain, I'm telling you. It's crazy. And there were nights and nights and nights of no sleep. And I remember one night sitting on the couch and just crying, God, where are you? Why? I was so convinced that you had led me to this moment. Why are you letting this happen? God, where are you? Why aren't you taking this away? Why did you let this? And God took all of my anxious cries and accusations and sinful words and I say sinful because I was saying a lot of not good things to God. But he loved me and he met me and he was patient with me and he was near to the brokenhearted and he was saving those who were crushed in their spirit. And he walked me through. And I remember one night, just again, multiple nights of no sleep. And it was about five in the morning, six in the morning, just, God, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Make it stop. And I remember him meeting me and saying, my child, I'm not going to take it away yet, but I am here. And I never felt a peace like I did at that moment. Oh, the pain was still raging. But I had a peace that passes understanding. 
So here's what I wrote down. The more pain that I experience, the closer the Lord is to me. So here's where I'm gonna close. Um, you can download our app and you can find this in there. You can Google this. You can find this in there or you can walk out here if there's any of these left after last service and find a little card. And I wanna encourage you every day between now and next Sunday, I want you to just say this prayer. You're gonna find a spot. It could be on your back porch. It could be a you know, chair in your house. It could be in your bedroom. I like to prayer walk. That's what I like to do. But you do whatever you want and just go to pray the same prayer. And this is called the serenity prayer. And I know you've heard it before. But most of you only know the first part of the serenity prayer. You don't know the whole thing. Here's the prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Here's the part most of us don't know. So good. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as he did, as Jesus, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he, Jesus, will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and the next. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want you, I don't care if you do it first thing in the morning, in the middle of the afternoon, you can do it at work, on your lunch break, before you go to bed, I don't care. I just want you to pray it every day. And I know what's gonna happen. You're gonna think, ah, I'm just so tired of saying the same prayer over and over and over again. Start to personalize it. God, reveal to me the things in this situation that I can't change. Now, God, help me to make peace with that. But God, what can I do? What can I influence in this situation? What change can I bring about? God, I'm afraid to do that because if I do that, what if these things happen? God, help me to have the courage to embrace what I can do to step into this. And then that last part has been convicting me now for a couple weeks that I might be reasonably happy. God, help me to change my happy perspective, to have your view of this situation, knowing that I will be supremely happy in eternity with you, God. Before we close, I just want to encourage you to do that every week, or every day this week, sorry. We'll get a new prayer next week. As I just want to invite some of you into the story of Jesus. So listen, if you're watching at home, or maybe this is you, you could pull out your phone if you still got it out. You were texting yourself notes. You just text the word CONNECT at 317-565-4911. You did any day, any time. Or you can go by your CONNECT up and just say, I think I'm ready for Jesus. I don't know what it means, but I'm ready. We have another baptism after the service, and we had a baptism in this service because people are responding all the time in different ways at different places to Jesus. And maybe it's your turn. What I want to do is pray over you. And I'm going to pray parts of the serenity prayer over you right now. So would you just allow me to pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, it is so easy for me. It is so easy for me, God, to feel afraid, to feel like life is out of control, to not feel like I know how to solve a problem or fix a thing, to be scared of a medical diagnosis, to not know how things are gonna work out with my kids or these bills or whatever it is that I'm facing to be worried about somebody with a gun or somebody with a knife or somebody with a thing, a lawsuit, a dog. God, we have so many fears. But neither our fears about tomorrow or even our worries for today could separate us from the love that is ours in Christ Jesus. So God, my prayer right now is would you give us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, to make peace with those, God, 
and the courage to change the things that we can, to actually bring change into this world through what we have influence over. And that God help us to make peace that we can expect to be reasonably happy in this life, but know we will be supremely happy with you in the life that is to come. And may that change how we live today and the speed at which we live our lives, trusting you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say.